0: The most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective.
1: Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and
2: that is what makes us Americans.
3: Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya.
4: 1310k and OX 1079 1033 FM. Good morning, it is 906. My name is Noah Chalaya, delighted to be here with you this hour. Joining me for this episode of Critical Thought, Mr. Steve Ovens. Welcome in, sir.
5: Good morning, Noah. Happy to be here.
4: Yeah, thanks for taking the time to be here. So, this is kind of fun, uh, as uh, an IT acquaintance will say, um, but doing the show remotely, and so Steve will join me and uh, we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. So, Nearly all Minnesota workers would be entitled to paid sick leaves under a new plan moving forward through this legislature that's aimed at roughly one-third of whose employers don't already give them time off when they're ill. Employees would be granted up to one hour of paid, earned, sick, and safe time for every 30 hours worked, up to 48 hours per year, unused time up to 80 hours per year, and could be carried over into the next year. The proposal sets the floor that nothing would change for workers who have already have better benefits workers could also use paid time off for physical or mental illness treatment for preventative care or caring for a family member and absence is related to domestic abuse or sexual assault or stalking they could use it also for things like weather closures or public emergencies or to quarantine to avoid spreading communicable diseases the reality of life is that everyone gets sick at one point or another, the chief author, Democratic Representative Liz Olson of Duluth, said at a news conference Thursday looking ahead of the bill's expected passage in the House floor. And so my question to you at 775 55 should your employer be required to pay you when you take a sick day, or should you be required to save your money for a rainy day? And so, Steve, I, I guess I'll start by getting your thoughts. Like, So why is why would it become the state's responsibility to ensure that, well, uh, really, I guess, the business's responsibility at the hand of the state to make sure to pay for people who are sick.
5: That's an interesting conversation. I think that there needs to be a balance between having some sympathy for the average worker, understanding that your business is actually built on the back of the people that are working. And uh, uh, we have seen study after study show that a a safe, healthy, happy workforce is far more productive. Mm -hmm. And so I might argue that In the end, it's probably better for the business to make sure that that you are taking care of your employees, and especially seen as taking care of your employees in terms of being good to them, and that will probably yield bigger benefits than the cost for forty-eight hours a year of sick time.
4: Okay, so I might say back to that then if. The argument is that it's in the employer's best interest. Wouldn't they do that on their own? Like, do they need a state law to make that decision? Or would they look at it and just say, hey, you know what? This is better for our employees, so of course we're going to do this.
5: Not necessarily. Um, as much as I am a big proponent of the free market, we have seen over and over again that while there are a lot of places that will do the right thing, and in fact, you can see if you if you read through the article that, that's um, posted on the, the Valley News website, they talk about how there's already a good percentage of the, the population where this bill is going to be passed that has access to some sick time. Mm-hmm. So getting back to your question, we have seen that businesses that are allowed to skirt the rules, whether it's dumping garbage or or not being very fiscally responsible or throwing batteries in the trash, all those sorts of things, they there's a small percentage of them that need to have that level of regulation in order to to facilitate proper interaction in society.
4: Okay, well that that makes sense to me. So, I would come back to this idea that you know at the end of the day, money comes from work, right? And so if you want to generate money, you must do work. And if a business wants to take in revenue, they have to provide work for the money. And so I think the next question becomes: How are businesses, particularly smaller businesses, supposed to afford? having somebody not producing work, thus not producing income, and yet they are ultimately responsible for paying people. Your thoughts, again, are welcome, Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You can call or text that same number, email us live at knoxradio.com, or question this hour, should your employer be required to pay you when you take a sick day, or should you be required to save your money for a rainy day? To me, this is transferring the responsibility, the financial responsibility, from the individual over to the employer via the government. And thank God this got reined in from its original incantation, which was, I think, 24 weeks out of the year, um, could be paid six. That's almost half the amount of, that's almost half the year that they'd be paying you for time that you're not there. And I think that's potentially concerning. Although I wonder if, you know, would you say that COVID maybe changed the landscape a little bit insofar as People needed to be able to take time off because they were legitimately sick, and if they didn't take off and they didn't go home and spend time at home, then they infected more of the workforce, and then everybody
5: was worse off. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, so I immigrated here to the US a couple of years ago, spent most of my life in Canada, and one of the things that I did notice here is that people go to work sick because they can't afford to take the time off or they're sick, but not so sick that they can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And at least in where I've lived in Canada, um, you were granted five days a year okay. that you could just have as a sick day. And um, I have good friends in Germany, and I, I have a good understanding of what happens there. And essentially, their philosophy is, when you're sick, you're sick. As long as you can produce a doctor's note, the the business can't fault you for being sick. Okay. And, and I think that uh, that sort of thing will will help keep your, your employees healthier overall. Because if you have somebody that's coming in sick because they can't or feel like they can't take a day off, you're more likely to spread even even colds. Like, it doesn't even have to be anything, you know, horrendous, but people sneezing or, or whatever. mm mm-hmm.
4: Text messenger says at 775 55 59, how does the business recover the costs of providing the paid sick leave benefit? And I think the answer to that is they eat it, right? So in this, it, it, the, the argument would be that the business would assume that cost, and the trade off is that they get a healthy, healthy, happy workforce. The other thing I think probably is worth discussing here is in the world of remote work. How many jobs really require you to be in a building with other people? Certainly there are, you know, teachers, healthcare, those sorts of things where you're actively working one on one with other people or one to some other people. I think there's an argument there, but a lot of work could be moved remotely. Is there an argument for, hey, if you're not feeling well, work remotely that day in the same way that when we have like storm days for kids, we send them home and tell them to do their schoolwork from home. Why couldn't adults do that?
5: I mean, that that's an interesting perspective. But I think what is getting lost here is this idea that if we have the employees come in to work uh, when they're sick, mm-hmm. are they going to be at 100%? Probably not. Yeah. Who eats the cost of that? The business still is eating the cost. So if you're forcing the person to come in, they've, maybe they've got a migraine, for example. Like I, I have friends that they get severe migraines depending on the light in the area. Mm-hmm. So you force them to come in when they're having a severe migraine, and maybe you get a third of their productivity if you're lucky, And then you also have a person that, that, you know, if you've got a choice between, I believe in Minnesota, they said something like 60% of the workforce already has access to sick days. Right. So if you've got something high like that, you've got an employee that's kind of on the fence, like, I like where I work, but over here, comparable pay and I get sick days. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a cost drain here for the places that are already keeping their employees uh, relatively happy.
4: 775 59 the number to join the discussion. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
6: If someone does doesn't like the benefits of a job, can they go somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, well, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to six. I just I don't like all these government mandates because it's six days now. We'll see in a couple of years what it is. Also, I, I, I have to, and I want to come across hard, I have to categorically reject this stuff where people stay if you're puking, you're sick. But I, I'm sorry, this—you got a cold and you're staying home. I—what's what, happening to America? I, I, and maybe it's different. Maybe I guess if you really interact, with a lot of people. about well, uh, Terry,
4: what if you need of, a mental and health I day? I
6: got a lot, and in my job—I had a lot of sick days. I'm not staying home for a bad cold. Uh-huh. Suck it up, Buttercup. There's work. To, and you asked about the, the employer. Look where we're at with workers. The more people that stay home for a cold, the more stuff that doesn't get done, and they're already short. I, I, I just,
4: we're soft. I, what if you need I'm a mental sure sick day? A, what if you need a mental health day? What if you have a family member that uh, that's having some trouble, and you need to go spend some time with them?
6: A mental health day? Uh, okay, well, somebody just died, maybe I guess, but I, 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 I just, mental health now is becoming. The dog is having a bad day. Hey, this is you another know, uh, giving and days I'm off, a off for. Uh, and, and, and if the pri- if a private company wants to do it, that's fine. But I am just really leery as the more the government mandates this stuff, and also uh, I know other countries in many ways didn't like the American work ethic. I don't think going European is a, is a, is a good sign of the times for us as
4: Americans. Fair enough. I appreciate the call, my friend. I
6: I, I just think we're getting getting too um, sick is becoming a word that means literally almost anything.
4: It feels like I don't want to work. You would say sick means I don't feel like working today.
6: Yeah, you know what? There's plenty of times I woke up, uh, I'm going to go walk 13 miles in sub-zero weather. I really don't feel like it. Hey, suck it up. Go to work.
4: I appreciate the call. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
7: Yeah, I'd have to just completely agree with uh, Terry there. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously you can tell the guys from Canada. It sounds like a complete progressive, like soft complete uh, bill.
8: I mean, probably
7: bring it back up there. I
8: mean, they're just like
7: Canadians are just the worst people in the world, as I can see. Anyways, they're just soft humans. It's like go up there with that crap. We don't need it down here. Get real. Okay. Get real, buddy. Get real, guys.
4: I appreciate the call seven seven five fifty five fifty nine so that that's funny, and I think that's gonna i think this is gonna be even funnier as, as the, the next two hours progress but uh would you consider yourself a soft human
5: uh no, I would not in fact i I'm a very strong libertarian I think that just because uh you may have some idea that maybe it's okay to be sick two days out of the year and that's okay that doesn't make me a soft human in fact uh I would say that noah and I are He likes to say we're dyed from the same cloth. So if you've listened to Noah for any amount of time, we agree on, I'd say, 95% of the stuff that we talk about.
4: And I I think that'll come out. I would say the real difference between you and me is where I will uh, try to take somebody's feelings into account and I want to care about them and I want to love them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you'll just do that. You'll laugh and shake your head and be like, yeah, they'll get over it. So a text messenger says this. Quit. Quit strangling the employer with all these requirements and government involvement. No wonder companies move to China. Another text messenger has this to say. Businesses don't eat any costs. They pass them on to their customers. Well, you're right to an extent, right? You're right to an extent. When I say they're eating the cost, you're right. Their profits aren't going to suffer. They will just pass those off to the customer. But what I'm saying is the government is pushing that cost off on to the business. Then you're right. The business will likely pass it down the line and eventually it's, the eventually it's the customer that that eats that and maybe that's okay right maybe it's okay if you pay a little bit more for your products or services so that the people that are serving them to you or the people that are making them to you can live healthy lives i mean if we're willing to send the entire country into a lockdown for two years in under the name of well we want to be healthy and happy i i mean sick days that seems like that's a pretty reasonable thing Now, the Democratic-controlled House passed similar legislation in 2019, 2021, and 2022, but they couldn't get it past the formerly Republican-controlled Senate. Democrats have now control of both the House and the Senate, uh, and so it cleared the three Senate committees on its way to the eventual floor where it had for a vote. Quote, it shouldn't be controversial to say that to put state law that workers should be able to take paid time off if they have a family member get sick. Democratic House Speaker Melissa Horton of Brooklyn Park told reporters workers would qualify after they worked for their employer for at least 80 hours so proprietors would not be covered and employers who would have to absorb the costs could require documentation to justify the use of consecutive days off. The requirement would apply to all employers and could be fined up to $10,000 for violations. My question there is, how are you going to have documentation for things like mental health days? What, are you going to write a letter and say, hey, I no, I really didn't feel good today. Like, I felt terrible and I thought I was really depressed and I was considering suicide. I mean, what qualifies as a letter to say that's documentation of why I needed more than three days off. If you're going again, if you're going to extend past actual, like, hey, I was in the hospital, I was, I was legitimate, I was, you know, throwing up all day, those sorts of things. How do you justify that? Now, text messenger has this to say: I'm a small business owner in East Grand Forks, and what I'm going to do is just pay each employee six days up front at the beginning of each year to prevent them from calling in quote unquote sick. So they'll be responsible for saving that money when the sick day, of course. Uh, when they have sick days through the course of the year so here's what's interesting about that text message to me you're attacking the problem the same way i would attack the problem which is i know that i have to say, take sick days up in, and i don't live in minnesota so it doesn't really apply to me but i know that i have to take sick days but up until very recently i my only income was self-employment income so if i wanted to take a sick day then i had to save up money when i had the money so that if i wanted to not work i'd have the money to pay up you're doing the same thing you're putting the responsibility back into the employee's corner you're saying that's fine if minnesota law requires me to do this i'll comply but i'm going to do it at the beginning of the year so you have to assume the responsibility you have to make the decision 775-55-59 you're on cano good morning
9: well that's a pretty good deal if you can get it you know uh, i don't feel like working today okay just stay home then okay yep uh, that, that doesn't work when you're out in a combine you got to go anyway. you got to get the crop off in the sunshine. Um, you know, when you're self-employed, it, it doesn't work. But it's, it's for the other feel-good people. That's good. And uh, I heard breaking news yesterday. We're going to run out of Social Security money one year earlier now. Well, what happened to the million people that died that aren't getting Social Security because of COVID? I thought that should be a boon for our funds.
4: Social, Social Security is not your money. Right. It's not your money. It belongs to the government. So you pay in and you can pay in for 40 years. And if you pass away, it's not your money. Uh It isn't your asset.
9: No, no. You get $255 for the ladies at the funeral. That's what your payoff is after 40 years of paying in.
4: Out of $10,000 funeral, you get 250 bucks. That sounds great.
9: 255. Come on, buddy. Okay.
4: My apologies.
9: Anyway, I thought with COVID last year would have made more money in the fund, but now all of a sudden it's gone. And, you know, the baby boomers in the next 10 years, a lot of us are going to be gone. So Mm -hmm. we should have more money coming in. But they're not telling us that because they want to spend it on, oh, COVID. They want to spend it on Ukraine. They want to spend it on Furry's Days Off. There's all kinds of different ways that the government spends their money. Give it back. 100%.
4: Hundred percent. Hey, I appreciate the call. There are infinite ways to spend money. There's only so many dollars to spend. That's part of the problem. We'll take the break here. We'll continue next. This is Critical Thought. I'm K N O X. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079, 103.3 FM. Welcome back. 928. We're talking about paid sick leave in Minnesota. Minnesota passing a law through their state legislature, working its way through the state legislature, I guess, rather, I guess, rather, um, mandating sick days for employees. And the idea here being that employers will be required to provide sick days to their employees. Now, a text messenger has this to say, statistically, it's hard to argue with other countries that are doing things better than America. As the latest research shows, America no longer has the highest quality of life. So I'm, I'm going to defer that straight to you, Steve. Would you say, because you've, you've done it both ways, I guess, uh, look, we only got about two minutes before we got to get to the newsroom, but why did you come
5: to the U.S.? We came, we specifically came, we live in South Dakota, and we came to South Dakota because we felt that the life the Americans lead is overall a better life. Right. We didn't we particularly in my my family's cases, we are not at all anywhere close to leaning blue at all. And so being in Canada and not being a liberal minded person is a very small niche of a an area to be in. Uh-huh. So we came here because of specifically we like South Dakota and and we like the governor and the policies that are in place. And we really like the the bootstrapping attitude that that is down here.
4: Yeah, So you would say the quality of life in America exceeds that in the rest of the world
5: I would say I haven't I don't haven't taken a survey of the rest of the world I would say of the places that we looked at going this was the best choice for us Fair enough
4: All right we'll park it there for a bit We'll head over to the KNOX newsroom get the latest from Doug Barrett and continue next This is Critical Thought on KNOX 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM Welcome back 939 33 outside the Grand Forks area Delighted to be here with you My name is Noah Cholai Joining me this hour Steve Ovens I, we're going to talk a little bit about open AI. So this is something that I wouldn't, I'd have a hard time talking about all on my own, but with the backup of another nerd, I think we can handle it. Establishing a single world government could bring about the end of humanity as a whole, billionaire Elon Musk warned while calling out artificial intelligence one of the biggest risks facing human civilization. Quote, I know this is called the world government summit. But I think we should be a little concerned about actually becoming too much of a single world government, Musk said in a remote speech on February 15th at the 2023 world government summit in Dubai. If I may say, we want to avoid creating a civilizational risk by having, frankly, this might sound a little odd, too much cooperation between governments. And of course, the idea what Elon Musk is getting at there is competition of ideas, is a good thing. Competition of ideas is what allows us to stay ahead. And with regard to artificial intelligence, Musk called it something that we have to be quite concerned about as he pointed to the ChatGPT as an example of an advanced AI. ChatGPT is a chatbot that was developed by a company called OpenAI that was launched in November and has attracted considerable attention for its human-like responses to questions. You might recall that we talked a little bit uh, a few months ago about a therapist or a uh, a group of therapists that was using ChatGPT to provide therapy to people and it was found to be unethical. So my question to you at 775-55-59, do you trust or can we trust artificial intelligence to provide truth? And so a, a little bit of background uh, about Steve. So he, you work for a software company and so you develop or well, you work supporting software that's developed in, in an open source nature. Do you think that, things like open AI or, well, AI in general can be used as a source of truth.
5: I think that AI can be used as a way to help make shortcuts. I don't think that we should ever offload that that section of our thinking. I just think that's a bad idea. Anytime that Anytime that we as humans have ever offloaded some level of responsibility onto something else, we end up losing that skill set. And I think that using AI in the same way it's okay to use it as a tool, just like you would a hammer or a drill or something of that nature, right? And you can you can get more powerful and more automated in terms of the way we use tools, but losing the ability to, to use that section of the skill is where I think AI can be very detrimental.
4: Mm. So if right now I'm looking to say, like, let's say I want to figure out uh, how many backpacks I can fit in my trunk. Right now, I would go out and I would measure and I would figure all of that out. And then I would calculate the size of the backpack and I would calculate, you know, cubic feet and all of these things. If I start to rely on AI, you're saying that we're essentially kind of, if the muscle isn't used, it
5: atrophies. We've seen that over and over again. Um, if, if we just take something simple that most people can relate to, like cars, mm. right? Uh, most people know I can step on the gas, there are a decreasing number of people that can drive a manual transmission and even less that I can actually rudimentarily diagnose what's happening with the car. Like the car doesn't go, that's it. Like most people can't even identify the fact that I need a spark plug, for example, right? We've offloaded that, ability to the computers and stuff like that so if, if your modern car doesn't have some way to tell you i've got a problem with whatever yeah. most people have no idea and we have to bring it to somebody and even they just hook it up to some fancy machine nowadays
4: and so even if they wanted to go try and troubleshoot it you're saying that in some ways they're handicapped they can't because we've we've relinquished the ability to do that troubleshooting ourselves
5: that underlying knowledge has has basically disappeared
4: Interesting. What are your thoughts at seven seven five fifty five fifty nine? Do you trust AI, and can we trust AI to be a source of truth? So there's there's a number of of, of interesting angles here. One of the things uh, that came out as Microsoft tried to roll out their implementation of AI, uh, they did it with their search engine Bing, and they're essentially trying to take on you know, Google and the likes. And what ended up happening is there's a number of exchanges that people have posted online. One of them is with a, a person who was trying to use uh, the AI search, and it was wrong about something. It was trying to tell him that the date was in 2022, and he's going, "No, the date is definitely 2023," and it was it was untrue. And the AI essentially got upset. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: So it was it started off very benign. The the user, so there was a thread on Twitter and then it was picked up, the story was picked up by the New York Post and then later confirmed by Microsoft. So they they Microsoft has a search called Bing, very similar to Google, and they have implemented an AI for it for a limited, like they're doing it in, in limited trial. And so the user just went and said, when is Avatar showing at my local theater? And it came back and had a negative result. And so he he basically queries like, well what do you mean? I can see this. And mm. the the response from the AI was it got very confused about what the current date was and what the release of the movie was. And it was it was a very interesting um thread as it went through. The user was just replying with two or three word answers, really hard to imply any kind of intent from that. And at the end of at the end, the AI basically hung up on him saying like he's he's being belligerent and The, you know, he looks at his phone and says, well, my phone says it's such and such a date. And the the AI responds, well, your phone must have been hacked.
4: So can AI do something? You know, for the average person walking around, I think they they see AI or they hear AI and they immediately think of like Terminator, right? Oh, it's it's sentient. It can think. Is that the way
5: that AI works? The way that AI works is essentially um, we feed it a bunch of different scenarios. So the easiest way to understand this for the layperson is if we're teaching it what a cat is, we feed it in literally millions of pictures. And there has to be an initially, there's a human there Mm. that says, this is a cat, this isn't a cat. And eventually the computer draws enough similarities that it starts asking, is it like, I think this is a cat and someone has to validate that. Mm -hmm. And eventually it trains itself enough to know what a cat looks like from a picture. It may not actually understand what a cat is, or anything like that, but it can understand the characteristics of a cat from looking at it. And yeah. and that's kind of how AI works. We don't really program it to say, this is a cat. We let it take guesses, and then we validate those guesses.
4: So this, uh, this a text messenger says this, and this was not lost on me. Uh, fun fact about OpenAI and ChatGPT, the president and CEO of OpenAI is... Mr. Greg Brockman, a graduate of Red River High School and UND, so the funny thing, so funny little piece of information about that, I went to I went to high school with Greg Brockman. Greg Brockman was in high, was in he was a year younger than me age wise, but he was attending college while I was in my junior year at high school.
5: <laughs> sort of like uh, Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Yeah,
4: I, I think Greg Brockman is probably much smarter than, than even Sheldon is portrayed to be. I mean, th- this, I mean, he's a sharp dude. And he, he actually, he started Stripe or was on the, the very beginning of, of starting Stripe and then moved on to OpenAI. And I've actually, I've reached out to him for an interview back when the whole chat GPT thing, uh, you know, blew up, but I, I suspect he's very busy. Anyway, your thoughts, seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. 59 Can we trust artificial intelligence to provide truth? And would you trust artificial intelligence. Is it something that you'd be comfortable relying on? Here's the other side of it, right? So there there, there are the downsides of, well, it's a computer and you, can't tr- you wouldn't necessarily be able to trust it and those sorts of things. The other side of it is the, this idea of societal wealth, right? So you would say, well, we've traded these basic skill sets away and that's not... F- That's not false. But at the same time, I think there's a large, a large percentage of people that have no idea how to grow their own crops or have no idea how to dispose of their own waste or have no idea how to obtain clean drinking water. And we've absolutely offloaded those things onto other people. But, you know, the the simple reality is if I spent my time growing my own crops and procuring my own drinking water. I would have absolutely no time to do talk radio or fix computers because I would spend all of my time farming and and bringing in water. So as a society, we're able to kind of lean on each other and say, "Okay, you deal with the farming. I will deal with this when we can automate something. There's a reason that you don't have doormen anymore, right? Like you don't walk up and somebody opens the door for you. Why? Because we replaced it with a Stanley door opener. And so is that a level of automation? Sure. I don't in that case, nobody forgot how to open the door, but the and and it certainly really throws a. A monkey wrench in the romantics of like it used to be i could be chivalrous by opening the door jumping in front of the motion detector just doesn't quite have the same appeal but uh, it, what my point is when we invest in those automations we open people up to do other things
5: so i would i would push back on the the idea of oh well society has built itself by offloading tool like things because okay, okay. you know i don't have to grow my own crops and stuff like that which is true But if you roll back the clock, people knew how to do that, even if they weren't doing it themselves. It turned Mm -hmm. out that, you know, I still was able to figure out my own subsistence if I had to. Okay. But it it had more to do with, you know, my father was a carpenter, so I learned those skills. But you didn't neglect all of the other basic understanding of how life worked. Like, if if you take a modern person and bring them back 100 years, we'd really, really struggle. (laughs) Right? And I I don't think you could say that from someone born in the 1800s and you drop them in the 1700s. Sure. I don't think it would be the same level of ineptitude as if you took me and brought me back 100 years.
4: Yeah, that's fair. 775 you're on KNOX. Good morning.
5: Happy Fun Friday. Happy
10: Fun Friday. AI. Yes. Artificial. Artificial. Fake intelligence. Well. The good news is that men and women... Create these AIs from their brains, both hemispheres. Mm-hmm. I guess my concern there are more, of, and I guess that's part of AI, but robots. Robots are here and robots uh, probably could take over doing everything. Uh, I see some pictures of robots on this Facebook thing. I mean, they're doing backflips and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And I understand some companies, I, uh use them to go gather things off the shelf. They're all programmed. So, like, one one human can take care of a whole huge warehouse. And that's going to displace a lot of people from work. So, we, you know, in a few years, uh, there's going to be a lot of people. That the robots are doing their job. I mean, I, I called my bank to move my $11 around, and I never talked to a human.
4: Do you think that those humans have just moved on to other jobs?
10: Well, perhaps. But that's where, uh, what is the program or the people's idea of uh, basic limited income or basically yearly income?
5: Mm
10: -hmm. We would have to because there won't be enough jobs for the people because robots are going to be doing it
5: i mean there's there's definitely them. something to be said for that idea um, i don't I don't disagree and at at points in my life I've found myself making the same argument. however, what i've seen over the last twenty years being in technology is that new jobs get opened up in mm-hmm. other areas so um, i I'm not going to say that all of the jobs are going to be replaced i I tend to think like you if if we keep removing them like we refused to use the, the self-checkouts, my wife and I, okay. absolutely staunchly refused to use those for a similar reason, like someone should have a job. But at the same time, 20 years ago, we would not have thought about you know people working in the solar industry or any of these industries that we hadn't imagined back then. So did they replace all the jobs? You're absolutely right. They did not. But there is a there is a progression. I think there's always going to be a decent segment of the population that will have some amount of work. But I am also skeptical about um, autom- over-automation.
4: Over-automation. I didn't know that you didn't use the self-checkouts.
5: Nope, never have.
4: Because you, 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 from your perspective, you would like to pay somebody to check you out.
5: Absolutely. I dig it.
4: All right, we'll take the last break here. We'll continue in the next segment. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079, 103.3 FM. Good morning. Welcome back. It is 957. My name is Noah. Delighted to be here with you. We're talking about open AI. Do you trust it? Do you believe that it can be a source of truth? I would tell you, I think that AI is nothing more than human beings regurgitating their intelligence, right? It has to first be known by a human. It has to first be figured out by a human, and then really what... AI is doing is a very, very quick, very accurate way to reference information. Now, text Messenger has this to say, in AI, aren't computers now writing the code? Is that true? Steve?
5: It is true to a certain extent. So essentially what happens is um, they've open-sourced the models which means that everybody can go and read the code that was initially used to set these things up. Mm -hmm. But the power comes from where is it training itself? What data is it hoovering in? So for example, like ChatGPT scours the internet for various things and then makes some decisions based on that. It's not that someone sat and programmed and said, these are authoritative uh, sources for you to go and look at. Mm -hmm. It just simply runs a bunch of searches or whatever and makes decisions based on what it comes across. So essentially it is training itself. Is it specifically writing its own code to a layperson, It would look that way, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is now learning to do things that are outside of what we initially told it to do. Wow.
4: All right. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, when we come back, we'll take top of the hour news, but then we're going to get into Canadian tourism, $344 million lost in the state of North Dakota. Why? Because we're telling Canadians they have to get a vaccine. Hold on a second. I thought the vaccine was ineffective. It doesn't stop the spread. It doesn't stop you from dying from the the disease. So why do we mandate it for visitors? That's up next on News Radio 1310KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM. Good morning, 1007. My name is Noah Chalaya. Delighted to be here with you. Joining me today is Mr. Steve Ovens. Welcome in, sir. Thank you, Noah. A Canadian uh, in the process of being an American. The North Dakota Director of Tourism says that the number of Canadian travelers visiting North Dakota continues to increase. Numbers have not yet recovered to pre-pandemic levels. Sarah Odie Coleman, director of the North Dakota Tourism and Marketing, said that Canadians have called her office unhappy with the requirement that all foreign nationals traveling into the U.S. as non-immigrants be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Canada rescinded its requirements that all visitors provide proof of vaccine back in October 1st of 2022. So here's my question. We've told the. US military that they're no longer to ha- they're no longer required to have a vaccine. We've more or less said that all private companies don't have to have uh, vaccines. We're not requiring. US citizens to have vaccines and yet we require people to come into the United States to take a vaccine that doesn't prevent you from spreading the illness, doesn't prevent you from getting the illness to take that vaccine. Why do we require an ineffective vaccine for visitors when we don't require a vaccine for our own citizens? 775-5559, the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at canoxradio.com. So, again, Steve, you might be the most perfect person ever to, to break this down for me. What, what what was your experience with vaccines in Canada and then as a comparison here in the U.S.?
5: So there really isn't a whole lot of choice in Canada. I mean, down here in the U.S., we do hear about people losing their jobs for, you know, lack of compliance with with vaccines or all of the rest of that sort of stuff. Even if it is a, a private mandate in in Canada, particularly where I came from, it was increasingly difficult. You would come under a level of persecution if you didn't have uh, vaccination. So they would they would Health Canada. So one of the things that I I really appreciate about being down here is the the level that the states have control over over what happens in their individual areas mm-hmm. whereas in Canada it's a very centralized federal situation. So Health Canada would actually call and they would you would be required to answer their questions because they're part of the federal government and there's, you know, penalties involved with that and they call and have you gotten your vaccine and if you haven't like let me schedule that for you and and things of that wow. nature. Um, if if you had traveled outside, like we had some pretty, pretty restrictive uh, hmm, mandates put on in terms of traveling. So in, in my area, so in my province, we were not allowed to leave our home uh, outside of going to get groceries for a significant period of time. And if you did, the, the police had the right to stop you and turn you around if they didn't find that your <laughs> reason for being out of your house was valid. Um, and there have been plenty of cases that are, that are, starting to work their way through the law system in Canada where for example a, an entire family was arrested because they were roller skating in their own parking lot by themselves no one else around but because you know so we all that to say is the the move for having the vaccine disseminated in Canada was much stronger than it is here mm-hmm. and i appreciate coming here and and seeing the, the level of autonomy that, that you have over your life here in the U.S. compared to what we have in Canada.
4: seven seven you're on KNOX. Good morning.
3: Morning, Super Dave. How are you, brother?
5: Good.
4: How are you doing, sir?
3: Good. So we know the answer to this question right off the bat. It's a power grab. They don't want to let go of it. They, uh, they did what they did for two years. The CDC still, and here's a key, recommends travelers coming to the us be vaccinated and from there all the other major branches uh dhs cbp because they're following the orders of the executive branch they've made that a requirement at their level that's why they have to get it done now the sole purpose is like i said power and control they don't want to give it up and that's been demonstrated just the other day by the cdc director our wonderful cdc director coming out and saying that masks still should be required for um, COVID in schools if there's an increase in COVID. And we know the masks that we're wearing now, those cloth things that we're paying 5 $7 for, are in no way, shape, or form preventing the COVID-19 virus from transmitting. So it goes back to the same thing. Power in control.
4: So why why exercise power over? It's costing the state of North Dakota three hundred and forty four million dollars in lost tourism money that we would be taking in. Where is the advantage to the United States, to North Dakota, to anyone in not allowing Canadians to come into the United States just because they don't have a vaccine? That oh, by the way, half the country doesn't want to take.
3: Well, see, so you're asking where is the advantage. You're thinking with common sense hey, it's $350 million, we're losing, right? But they're not. The thought had occurred to me. uh, They're looking at it like, I am in control of this and what I say goes. Because again, they're the federal government. Tax and spend. They're not appropriated funds. Excuse me. They are non-appropriated funds, which means they just ask for money. They don't care about how much money is made. They're just going to continue to put the burden on the taxpayer. So that's what you're running into. Now, the North Dakota governor should continue his fight uh, in line with the other states out there that are really, really browbeating the executive branch of the United States to change their processes and their policies. But the woke agenda won't let that happen.
4: I just, I don't get where the motivation is, though. Like, I can understand if you want control over something, but all you're controlling is you're, con- you're keeping people out of the country and they're not people we would want to keep out of the country. So I don't understand the purpose of exercising the control. Okay, so
5: no, I would let say let that... Um, it, you're keeping
3: out. If, you're, if you're keeping out the northern border, folks, but you're allowing the southern border to be wide open, there's a distinct reason for that.
5: I think there's also, an like, I think that bullying comes into play, like the mentality of a bully comes into play, because a bully is going to pick on someone that they don't want to be friends with. Why are they doing it? They're doing it, like you were saying, to exercise control. And it doesn't really matter that, it doesn't really matter what they're exercising control over. It's it's just the fact that, you know, when, once you get to a certain level of influence, the only like the only way you have to go, you've got all this money. The only way you have to go is to actually see what you can get people to do.
4: Well, that's fair. Seven, seven, five, fifty five, fifty nine text message has this to say kind of on the same page about health. Can your guests talk about how the Canadian healthcare system is? Many people here believe that universal health care in universal healthcare, And I don't necessarily think that's the right approach.
5: So there's definitely a split opinion here. I'll give you our opinion, uh, having lived through there. So my mom was a nurse. She's a retired nurse uh, from in Canada, worked there her whole life. Um, And we have a different opinion than some other people. So I was having this discussion recently with uh, an immigrant to Canada very recently, and he was talking about how... um, as you get older, the universal health care is a thing that is very near and dear to him because he's looking at his parents and how, you know, how do you control for that? Because Medicaid and Medicare and stuff like that don't really uh, fit the bill as well as universal health care does in Canada. So there's that opinion out there. In our personal experience, um, the the wait times are ridiculous. So uh, I needed to see an endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. I waited... 16 months to see an endocrinologist. Oh my goodness. Um, and that was the earliest that I could get in. And I have other personal experiences. Like I, so I had an injury where I cut my arm open from my elbow to my wrist. And I was in the emergency out for eight hours before I was seen. Wide open, right down to the bone, just sitting there. And I'm not the only one. And we've had, we've been watching a collapse of the uh, universal healthcare system that if you live in Canada, you're aware of it, but it's not really addressed in the news um, for obvious reasons, because it makes the government look bad. But we've been having a spate of people dying in the emergency room while waiting for care. Um, and it is, it is one of those things that, for where I came from, 55% of my taxes went to health care. Wow. So Picture that, okay? I was in a 42% tax bracket, and 55% of that uh-huh. went to cover health care. and you know, healthcare is expensive down here, but it does not equate to, you know, as much as we were paying
4: half your income,
5: half my income. Right. And so we, we have a very we have a different perspective as a, as a young family who has been relatively healthy. We haven't had to draw on the system a ton. And so I suppose if you asked someone who has needed to have, you know, multiple surgeries and all the rest of that sort of stuff, they might have a different opinion.
4: Seven seven You're on KNOX. Good morning.
11: Well, just even hearing those stories makes me not want anything to do with the u s ever getting involved in um you know universal health care of any way shape or form. I'll take the health care system we have but kind of going back to your conversation of um, Canadians having to get uh vaccines to, vaccines to come to this country, mm-hmm. you can look at the obvious distinction between the two borders so You've got where Canadians have to get vaccines to come across the border. But coming across the southern border, you don't have to have a vaccine. Uh, You know, I would consider discrimination in every way, shape, or form. And there's a distinct reason for that, just like Barta said. It's all based on votes. They can't get a vote out of a Canadian coming across the border because they can't vote here. But an illegal alien coming across the southern border who decides to set up residence here can sure as hell give a vote to the... Democrat Party, so that's what it's all based upon, and they really think that people are are stupid enough not to figure it out.
4: i appreciate the call seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
11: Thank you, Noah. Uh, interesting,
7: interesting conversation as always. I uh, have friends in Canada and in countries all over the world that absolutely love the universal health care, and for more reasons than just the premium that they get taxed, they also pay a fraction of what we pay here in the States for prescription medications. And that when you tout your numbers, that they're, not, that they're misleading according to what we pay here in the States between premiums and paying for uh, things that our premiums don't cover, including the things Medicare doesn't cover, and on and on.
5: But that's a difference, though, in legislation. That's not the my health care in Canada does not pay for my drugs. That is the federal government putting a cap, saying you cannot charge more than this, right? So in effect, it,
7: your government is telling your, your government is running. In effect, it, you know that's semantics, in my opinion. It does regulate the cost of prescription medications.
5: I I can understand the idea, like the argument that that's semantics, except that what I'm saying is you could have uh, legislation that says, you know what, life-saving drugs cannot cost an arm and a leg. You know, you can have that without having universal health care. You're right, because the government is essentially running the health care and they come in and they act in their own self-interest and make the legislation so that the health care doesn't have to pay exorbitant amounts of money. That could be semantics, but they, they don't have to be tied together.
7: Well, then, why do they time together in Canada? Because to me, it falls under the same umbrella, and it also offsets your your cost when you do end up sick, particularly when you get to retirement age. I've got a seventy eight year old mother that's paying four hundred dollars a month for a drug that's not covered under Medicare.
5: And that's why I was saying, like, w- uh, that's why I was very clear to say. Our perspective is is as a young family, and if you had to draw on that or, you know, my friend who is older than I am is concerned about the, you know, how Medicare and Medicaid might take care of them. So you're right about that. When I was saying that they don't have to be coupled together, I'm saying that a state could decide that, you know what, we're not going to allow, you know, you to charge seven hundred dollars for thyroid medication like that's just not a thing we're going to do and you can do that without universal health care they're tied together in canada because people work in their self-interest as you were pointing out right it's in the government's interest to do that
7: well it's also in the interest of the masses i would i would argue i mean i've got friends like i said all over the world that that absolutely love their plans i mean insurance companies also regulate you know decide the, the 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 path of treatment. They you know the the private insurance companies here don't give anybody a break is what I'm saying. Pre existing yep. conditions was under Obamacare and I could go on and on. There's still over thirty million Americans that are underinsured.
5: I'm not saying that it's not a problem. I'm just saying that a lot of a lot of people who talk about the universal health care are not talking about the wait times and they're not talking about how much of the taxes are are actually diverted to doing that and and that is it 's a big problem right i 'm not saying to get rid of universal health care i 'm saying that the current state of the universal health care as it sits in Canada is crumbling under its own weight, and the only way they 're going to solve that is that fifty five is going to go to sixty percent or sixty five percent you know and then then it becomes how much are you how much are you willing to pay for that
4: which interestingly
5: enough gets us to the same place we are in the
4: u s how much are you willing to pay for your health
5: care yeah right
4: just a funding mechanism. Alright, we'll take the break here. Continue next. This is Critical Thought on KO X. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079, 1033 FM, 1026. Welcome back. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
3: Hey, Super Dave again. So I, I, I often get a kick about, out of people who um, are not under universal health care, promoting universal health care as much as they do. You have an individual who's living under it now uh, explaining to the, to the population the pros and cons And the individual who lives in America and is under a capitalist, almost capitalist system, not real capitalist, but almost capitalist system, wants to disagree with them. So here's what I know. I lived in Germany for 11 years, built a house up there, lived in the economy, and uh, I I experienced universal health care with the German population. They go now so far as to purchase their own health care insurance. And the reason they do that on top of their universal health care is because with that insurance and the uh, health community knowing there's going to be some funding that comes with it, they have priority. Uh, and they really, really do. Um, now that I'm in the United States again, uh, I am still under a universal type health care system because I fall under uh, TRICARE, the U.S. military's uh, health insurance. And we're running into the same problems here access to a care, of course, long wait times, additional funding on top of our regular funding that's supposed to be covered. We were promised, you know, uh, your medical and dental for life. Well, that doesn't happen now because every year they're raising our health care costs, something that we didn't agree upon, but something they're enforcing. So I would, I would tell the move away from your religion of socialism and listen to what the populations who, who are living under it have to say. And you'd realize very, very quick that it's not the end-all, be-all. But much like socialism, it could be, in a dream world, the end-all, be-all. But it's never executed that way. Thanks.
4: I appreciate the call. So one thing and we're going to we're, gonna, we're I, I know we're going to get there before the end of the three hours to be abundantly clear here. Steve no longer lives in Canada. Like we're sitting in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, as we do this radio program. So you don't live under the 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 Canada healthcare system anymore. You came here for a better life in America.
5: Yeah, that's true. Um, and honestly, I can say we, we were kind of discussing at the break the idea of, OK, four hundred dollars a month for prescription drugs is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 20 plus years that I have been a functioning adult paying taxes in society, at the rate that they take the taxes, I was trying to figure out would I, like, is that more than $400 a month? And and I feel like it is. But getting back to the endocrinologist, I never got to see the endocrinologist in Canada because I waited 12 months and then they're like, oh, well, we're not taking anybody during COVID. And so <laughs> I never, I never got to see them. And I, when I moved down here, uh, I got in within like, Four weeks, and it cost me $200. (laughs) Right. And so I I understand that not everybody is in that kind of position to have additional health care. But it's it has been an an issue of like, I ended up waiting two years to Mm -hmm. to get a diagnosis in a system that should have taken care of me. And, um, you know, I guarantee that I was paying more than $400 a month based on my current salary and the tax rate for at least the last seven years.
4: We'll take the news here. We'll pick it up on the other side. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310, KNOX 1079, 1033 FM. Welcome back. It is 1039. We're talking about North Dakota tourism. Tourists from Canada are down. It's starting to come back, but still twenty four only back to 24% to where it was pre-pandemic levels. Um, it's costing the state. A lot of money, $344 million in lost tourism revenue since April 2020. So my question to you at 775-5559, why do we require an ineffective vaccine for visitors when we don't even require a vaccine for our own citizens and half of our own citizens have decided that they don't want it? Your thoughts, your comments are welcome at 775 Text messenger has this to say, I live along the U.S.-Canadian border and I have to tell you, I have we have Canadians that come down to get medical attention here in the United States because of the wait times in Canada. They don't like the healthcare system up there. One guy had to wait 10 hours in the ER just to be seen. He had a heart attack while waiting. I could go on and on with stories about this. You know, I've seen that firsthand here. So as many of you know, my my father's a physician here in town and he has people that come in all the time down from Canada and they'll say, hey, uh, your heart's in failure and you're going to be dead in three to six months. And so we'll get you in in about a year and a half. And somebody's sitting back there and they're going, hold on a second. I just did the math on that. You said I was going to be dead in six months and you're not going to see me for 18. Yes, that's what we told you. Uh, that's a problem, right? So Steve and I were talking on, on the break and he, was, he did, actually went back and did the math and said he figured out it cost him about $2,000 a month. And I said, well, Steve, that's what I pay for health care. And his answer back was, but you can use yours. And, you know, that's really what it comes down to, right? You're going to have rationed care. Once there isn't enough health care for everybody. And so you, we've got to start making some decisions on how we're going to do that. And there's a couple different ways you can do it. One way is you can just let people pay for it themselves. The second thing is you can go with something like a a uh, complete care, uh, complete life system where we put a value on lives, but after the age of a certain point and up to an age of a certain point, and below that you're useless to society, and above that you're useless to society. So, what are your thoughts? Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. Another text messenger has this to say: Only in America can they take your house and put you into bankruptcy if you can't afford medical care. So, Steve, that's one of the positive effects of the Canadian healthcare system, right? That I mean, an emergency can't bankrupt you.
5: Yeah, and that was another thing that that Noah and I have talked about off and on is that, um, ultimately, you won't be refused care, and and an emergency is not going to bankrupt you in Canada for the most part. There there are still a large swath of things that is not covered by the universal health care. My father in law had had some pretty se- he had a pretty severe injury, and while the injury itself was covered, it was the aftercare and a bunch of the aftercare that had to happen. He had to have a he couldn't stay in the hospital for reasons, so he had to have a nurse come to his house and there's additional stuff that's there. So no, it didn't bankrupt him, but it definitely wasn't cheap and it wasn't free.
4: Text Messenger asks, Why are people pouring in on the southern border not required to be jabbed? And so that gets back to the hypocrisy. So there's there's a three level there's a three pronged hypocrisy here. So the first is that the vaccine is required to keep people safe. We know that isn't true because half the country isn't vaccinated and we seem to be getting on just fine. The second uh, uh, pronged hypocrisy is we need to keep Canadians out because it won't be safe to allow them into the country unless they're vaccinated, which is, of course, not true since you have literally people that you don't even know that they're coming across the border and so many of those people and then you're losing them in the interior. So that's the second pronged uh, uh, hypocrisy. And then the third is that giving the vaccine to any of the, those those two groups of people I just referenced would have any real measurable effect on keeping people safer. Now, again, I'm not, I am not, and I've said this many times in this program, I am not a person that believes the the vaccine is completely inappropriate. I think there are select cases where it's, it's appropriate, but I think you should be the one to make that decision, not the government. 775 55, 59. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
6: Well, a couple of points. First of all, uh, depends, president depends says that I believe in May they're going to end the emergency. So yes. I guess we'll find out if that if that means that the people can come to the country without getting a shot. Uh, and for the record, it, it, it's not a vaccine. They changed the definite definition of vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the polio vaccine, for example, you know, ninety nine point nine. They didn't get polio. We now know that they lied. Fauci, the no, whole. They all lied. First they said you wouldn't get it. Then you wouldn't get sick. Then you wouldn't get die. And they were long on everything. It's not a vaccine. Mm-hmm. It. it It might, in some cases, it might help you not as have severe symptoms, but also. And I've talked to plenty of healthcare people on this who who are never they're not going to go public because of what would happen to them, including here in town. Mm -hmm. This vaccine is causing problems for people. Absolutely, Uh, it is. Blood clot going massive detail. (laughs) So it's not a vaccine; doesn't work. I also want to say, using the excuse that you could use your you you might get bankrupt and lose your house because of medical that's mm-hmm. the same as justifying abortion because of the number of uh, incest cases that arise and they, they, and they say they
5: need an abortion for that you that is a really good point policy. i really like that thank you for making that point
6: you bet because the, you don't set public policy based upon extremes and, and i might also add in america when when health care the cost exploded is when government got involved in the mid-60s, the yeah. not-so-great society by LBJ and all the things they've done. Prior to that, health care cost, uh, m- many doctors lived, they were like next-door neighbors in just the, the average house. They weren't, and I'm not, not hey, what doctors make, go for it. I'm I no, Unlike the left, I'm not jealous of what other Americans make, so I don't care, but my point is, back then, many of them lived just in average houses, and they were just like, there's the plumber, there's the electrician, there's the doctor, uh, but but they've changed this and they've done it to the, the, the government did this to it to itself. I also might add is if it's so bad here, all the people with money all across the world, where do they come to get their health care?
4: That's right. That's right. Well. Although- You're starting to see that change. Right. As we start to roll out some of this nonsense, you're starting to see medical tourism. And there are places my dad actually, I think, was approached by one of these these organizations. But they have they set up on like an island. And like so for like three months out of the year, if you need cardiac care, you come to this island, they fly you in. It's like a five star hotel, the whole nine yards. They get you over. They do the thing. They watch you for a few days and then they send you back home all cash, no insurance, none of it. Um, And then the next three months, it's like the gastroenterologist. And then the next three months after that, it's like the bone surgeon or whatever.
6: And I'll close with this. I, I, I know there's a surgery center, I believe it's in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They take no insurance, no nothing. Cash only. They charge 10 to 30%, and that's the high. Usually it's around 10% or so of the normal price. So if you had a $10,000 issue, you go there, it's $1,000. Because they don't have an army of people pushing paper. You just go in, you get the procedure, you're done, and you leave, and you pay cash. So, frankly, if if... As opposed to going to universal health care, which is a disaster, we ought to be running the other way and getting our government even more out of health care, and we would not have the problems we have now.
4: I appreciate the call. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at com. Text Messenger has this to say at seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. Could Steve speak to the wait time in as the most startling difference between the two health care systems, or is it something else?
5: So that's a really good question. My mom, she came down to visit uh, last Christmas, not, not this most recent one, but the previous one. Mm-hmm. And while she was here, she, she broke her patilla, which is the part of the knee, like basically it's your kneecap. Ooh. And they were fantastic down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened right before Christmas, like right before Christmas, they got her in. It was Wednesday and they got her in on the Friday to do the surgery, which by the way, Friday was Christmas Eve. Um, okay. So we've, we've had the gamut of experience in terms of like the care, the care was phenomenal. Like there was, there was four or five nurses that were involved in just, just that. So I went in with my, it was myself and my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of followed her around as they were setting all this sort of stuff up. And, um, in Canada, it's not just the wait time, it's the quality of care as well. There are some really good nurses and, and we have, we have personal experience. Like I said, my mom is a registered mm. nurse. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, they're so overwhelmed that they don't even like they can't get to you where it's like, yep. it's, the, yep. it's the traditional comedy thing. Like they throw the, the clipboard actually like fill this thing out, yep. right? Whereas we went into the Avera Hospital here and it was like, hey, can we help you? Do you have any questions? Can I bring you a coffee? Like, you know, it was phenomenal. And the fact that like they're like, oh, yeah, you're Canadian and uh, you need to get home. Sure, we'll do this on Christmas Eve. Like would not have happened. Wow. Would not have happened. That's fantastic.
4: 775 fifty five fifty59 the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at Uh Text Messenger has this to say. Uh... Kind of the same. Oh, nope, we already read that one. So your thoughts are welcome. We're talking about the $344 million in lost tourism revenue since April 2020. Canadian uh, travelers are it's it's coming back, but we're not quite there yet. And so this is a real impact on our economy when we tell people that they're not allowed to come here. And here's the deal, right? A- absolutely. The United States has a right to say, here are the people that we want to come into the country. Here are the people that we don't want to the, uh, come into the country. And we absolutely have that right. And the benefit of coming into the country should be to the American, not, not the traveler. And, and I agree with all of that. I just don't understand what the benefit to the American is. You know, if everybody in America or even if the vast majority of people in America agreed with the concept of getting vaccinated and wanted to be vaccinated and didn't want to be around other people that weren't vaccinated. Look, I might have a different approach. But I really struggle with where I think. I think the North Dakota vaccine rate was something like thirty or forty percent. I don't. I, we didn't even hit fifty percent, right? And so I really struggle with the idea that we would tell people from another country, "Oh, you can't come here." Well, why can't I come here? Well, because you're not willing to do something that literally no other resident in the state, uh, not no other resident, but literally over half the residents in the state aren't willing to do. It just it seems a little bit disingenuous to me.
5: I think you bring up an interesting point in terms of the number of people that have been vaccinated versus not, even if we went to the extreme and said, let's say that 95% of the people in the country have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. If you believe in the efficacy of the vaccine, then it wouldn't matter that the people that you're coming into uh, have the vaccine or not. Mm-hmm. If you if you said, okay, well, the vaccine protects us, then you're protected. If you say, well, the vaccine helps us reduce the amount of, of severity, mm-hmm. then you're protected. If you're talking about the the protection of the travelers, well then your economy is going to increase because they're going to go to the hospital, yes. right? <laughs> like it it's I I don't come down here and get sick. Well, I'm I'm just yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. like there is if you if you put your faith in the vaccine, there's no need to put that on the foreigners that are coming in because either you're protected because you believe it protects you or you're not going to get as sick because that's the pur- whatever the purpose of the vaccine is, your population is inoculated against it. Mm-hmm. So it seems it seems like a, a a hard logic path to follow. Like, why are you requiring requiring this if your population is safe? Yes,
4: a hundred percent. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
5: Hi, that me. That's you.
12: Okay. Um. Yeah. I I kind of agree with some of the other callers. Is that you know if we're letting people in from the southern borders with no vaccines, then why are we you know, getting the having the Canadians or whoever else comes in. Um, in looking back during COVID, I from what I'm reading and knowing of friends up in Canada, I think Canada was much more strict with their COVID restrictions than bit. we ever were. I mean, I think. They were in lockdown for almost a year after before they could even leave their house practically. And so I'm thinking if I'm going to allow anybody into this country, I'd let let a Canadian in before I let someone from the U.S. back in. I mean, they've taken all the precautions, I believe, and I don't know. It's just, um, you know, it's okay to maybe have to show them. If we go out of town or out of the country, we have to show a vaccine. You know, hard, which I don't think is right, but um, then maybe they do. But I don't know that it has to be
5: that strict. Your thoughts?
4: That's
5: all I have to say. I think so. A lot of people don't know that parts of Canada are still going back down into lockdown. So the area where my wife was born, her her mother is still there, uh-huh. and they are heading back into a lockdown. So in what? terms of your your assertion that yeah, Canada. As far as whether you believe that the, the me- measures are effective or not, Canada has gone full bore as to like, yes, we're going to implement everything with the idea like it's, it's masking, it's, it's lockdowns, it's all of these sorts of things that uh-huh. are supposed to help us. So in terms of that, I have to imagine we're more likely to eradicate a virus should those methods be effective than the places that don't have any of those controls. That's crazy.
4: That's, it's, it's nuts to think about. But you're right. I mean, she's right. Right. If if you're looking for the safest population to allow into the country, well, it would be if if your concern is covid, well, then go with the country that takes covid some of the most seriously in the entire world, which would be Canada. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033-FM. Welcome back, 1056. Your thoughts, your calls are welcome. 775-5559. We're talking about Canadian tourism and uh, the effects of the healthcare system. Now, text messenger has this to say. I went to Belgium to have a procedure that would have cost nearly three times more in the United States. Medical tourism entities that sell insurance as a viable option for controlling costs. I don't disagree. I mean that you know at the end of the day I would say and I think Steve would say free market reigns supreme, right?
5: Yep. Anything that you can do to encourage competition really is what's mm-hmm. what's going to work out best for the consumer.
4: Absolutely. Text messenger says the insurance industry has destroyed healthcare. They run hospitals and essentially the doctor-patient relationship and treatment. They are the gatekeeper, the middleman. Truer words have never been spoken. That is absolutely 100% accurate. The insurance company decides how much is to be paid for a procedure, right? So this is something my my, my father finds absolutely hysterical in, in, a, in a not so, like, really funny way. But... The insurance company will tell him, well, you get paid $250 for this procedure. The medication for the procedure costs $300. Never mind his time, the staff's time, the electrical bill, the facility bill, the equipment that you need to do the... Like, none of that is... And it's $50 short just from the medication that you need to do the procedure. So it's, it's almost laughable that that's the Medicare reimbursement rate. But you know what? You don't get a say in that. Your choices are you either take that money and you go after the patient for the difference or you just accept that money... You accept that as your payment and you move on. And the problem is... When you have people that notoriously don't have money for health care, you can beat a rock with a stick and you can't get blood. You can go after a poor person and not get any money. And so at some point you wind up with, well, you're either going to treat people because you believe in treating people or you're not going to treat people because you can't afford to do so. And ultimately, that's going to be at our own detriment. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine text messenger has this to say. Makes sense. Let's tighten up the northern border and not worry about the southern border. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there is that. Right. I, you know, and at the end of the day, the, it's not even quite that simple. Right. Because now there's reports of people coming from Mexico, flying into Canada and then traversing the northern border. And so, it, you know, we are either a country of laws and borders or we are not. But there really isn't an in between. You kind of have to make your decision like, hey, we're going to stand up and we're going to enforce this thing or we're not. It does seem ridiculously silly to me to draw that line in the sand. When it comes to vaccines, like that's the thing we're going to decide to keep people out on. It just uh, mm, mm, mm. doesn't make any sense to me at all.
5: You want to talk about tightening the border Uh, at some other point. We'll have a discussion about how how long and arduous the process for us as Canadians and natural born English speakers to come to the U.S. and, And the fact that it is exceedingly difficult as a Canadian to land a green card to use the front door to use the front door. Right. Like you're talking about tightening the border. You know, most Canadians are, we are raised to be a very polite society, and so we're going to follow the rules. And so following the rules means going through the front door. I love that. We'll
4: leave it there. We'll pick it up after ABC News. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. radio 1310 knox 1079 1033 fm welcome in it is 1106 my name is noah chalaya delighted to be here with you joining me today is mr steve ovens welcome back sir
5: it has been fun so far i look forward to the last hour
4: oh it's gonna be a blast we don't slow down we don't back off we go full steam ahead a washington state teenager is advocating for a bill to protect the privacy of children of influencers Chris McCarthy, 18, is a freshman at the University of Washington and said that they are advocating for a child's right to privacy online after learning about an influencer, Micaiah Schufer, who shared extensive, very intimate content about her adopted son before relinquishing custody because of his medical needs. McCarthy, who uses the they-them pronouns, that's an important part of the story, started out by saying that she quit clicking Kids, which is an organization to spread awareness about the urge to fellow advocates to take action in their own states when she was a senior in high school last year they cold emailed multiple state legislatures and asked and eventually worked with state representative emily wicks to craft up house bill 2023 which was reintroduced as house bill 1627 this year's legislative session house bill 1627 which is the house civil rights and judiciary committee discussed at a public hearing on tuesday would protect the interests of minor children featured for-profit family vlogs requiring the parents of child influencers to set aside a portion of the revenue from the content in a separate fund for their children so that they could access it when they reach adulthood. The law would affect only content creators whose content generates at least 10 cents per view and features their children at least 30% or more of the time in paid content. So my question to you at 775-55-59, do children have a right to the money that parents make if they're putting their kids online? I've said numerous times, and I, I guess I've never really asked you, Steve, but so I've, I've told listeners multiple times, our rule at our house is our kids are allowed to use the internet. You will not communicate with other people online, period, end of story. You don't, commun- you don't post videos online, you don't receive videos, like you don't communicate with people online, period, end of story. And if you do, you won't touch the internet again until you're 18, you leave. Um, I, ha- and, and I do that because unfortunately, or fortunately, my position in it has led me to see the worst of humanity and i've seen how people hiding behind a keyboard can indulge in their darkest desires and my kids will not participate in that and so when i hear this bill my initial gut reaction is to say yeah i like this idea you know like yeah you shouldn't be able to put your kids up online nonstop, especially when you're trying to make money off of it and then go back and say, well, yeah, but you're my kid, so I'll choose what happens. Because they have to live with the consequences of that for the rest of their life. The flip side to that, though, is, of course, we're getting into this idea of retroactive parenting. Like the kid gets to 18 then looks back and says, I don't think my mom or dad should have raised me like that. They should have done this instead. Isn't that kind of too late?
5: It's a, This is a really difficult question for me to, to personally chew through. Because I I fall down strongly on the privacy side of things. Okay, And so... When my wife was an avid user of social media and mm-hmm. when we got married, it like I was like, you're an adult, you make your own decisions. And we had exactly the same kind of conversation that you, you just kind of laid out, which mm-hmm. was, we're not going to make this decision for our children. If we end up putting up all of these pictures all over the place, then they don't actually ever have the chance to make that choice for themselves. Yes. We've essentially made that for them. And for me, this is something that is is it publicly follows them around for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. and there should be, they should have the the wherewithal to make that decision at the appropriate time, whatever age that you decide that's appropriate with you and and your significant other. So, I, coming from that, I I sympathize with this. On the flip side of things, I don't really think that it's reasonable for a child to say, you know what, you made money off of me, yeah. Uh, now you pay up. <laughs> exactly. Like, if if you're gonna get into that level of accounting, I'm gonna start being like, Okay, your meal costs this much. You <laughs> like you you got this access to high speed internet, we bought you like it goes both ways. So if you if I if I'm going to start being charged for something like that that happens to make a little bit of money because the children, I don't know, you run a, a business out of your house doing crafts or something like that, and you have the children help you gather popsicle sticks or something like that, right? Something innocuous, and they're entitled to some of that profit. Well, that that's not necessarily right either, right? There is there is mm-hmm. some ground here, so I'm I'm not really sure. I'm I'm all for making sure that children have the ability to make the decisions at the appropriate time in their life.
4: Absolutely. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. That is the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at canawixradio.com. What do you think? Do you think that? Parents should be held accountable to their children for posting them online. And you know, if you think about it, so today, you know, we we have this term, and I don't know what I think about it yet. I'm still, I hate, I hate labels. But this idea of influencer, right? Oh, I'm an influencer. Well, you're an influencer. You got four views on YouTube. Good job, influencer. But this idea that so you're posting stuff online and you're supposed to keep track of this and you're supposed to set aside, you know, the quote-unquote revenue. Well. The damage, the privacy damage and the potential damage that comes to a kid would be there whether or not you're making money off of it, right? Like if I just post it on, let's say, Facebook or Twitter, the, the, I don't have a lot of complaints about the public education system. I've said numerous times I think our teachers are some of the best teachers. And if I had my choice, if I had money to give and I was spending my own dollars, I would go hire the same teachers we already have. I had one instance in, 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 the, in the 12 years that my kids have been in public schools that where a teacher took pictures of my daughter and put it on Twitter. And if you're not familiar with how Twitter operates, there are no real privacy controls. So that means like the entire world now has a picture of my daughter. And I w- to say I was livid is actually an understatement, right? And so I, again, I can relate to the idea that Kids should have some, and really what I mean is every individual should have some control over his or her public perception, photos, personal, personal identifiable information, those sorts of things can can be up there. The other thing that occurs to me, and I get this is a little bit fringe, so you got to tighten down the screws on your tin hat a little bit to follow me on this one, but depending on the career choice that the child wants to go into when he or she gets older, you might be putting that in jeopardy. If they want to go into some sort of sensitive security uh, situation, they want to go, you know, become an undercover police officer or something like that. Well, if, you know, the drug dealer can just go on Facebook and, you know, do a face match thing and it shows up and goes, oh, this person, they have Facebook profile or had a Facebook profile or showed up under this person who is listed as their daughter or their son or something. I mean, that's potentially problematic too.
5: So I think that, one of the things that we've lost sight of as a society is the fact that we used to be able to make mistakes as 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 humans and be able to recover from that. When you take these things, like if you're taking videos, like it can be something innocuous. And we all have had weddings where someone shares embarrassing photos or a home video of someone who's three years old doing something ridiculous. Like, when I was three, I told my mom that I was going to marry my older sister. And, of course, that got told at the wedding and blah, blah, blah. That, that sort of stuff has happened for time immemorial. Yeah. But there's a, a, it's a completely different scale to post that on the Internet and then have that there forever. <laughs> like you, We grew up in a time where you could make mistakes, and that mistake might follow you around. Like I grew up in, in a small rural town, and mm-hmm. that will follow you around that small rural town. But if you leave that small rural town... That's where it ends. Right. And you had that chance to learn from that mistake and get better. If you put it out on the Internet for everybody to see, we're looking at all this retcon stuff that has happened. Sorry, uh, that's some slang there, but basically some retroactive history where people have made some poor choices in their life or. Choices that were fine at the time, yes, but have come to be considered poor choices, and now we're lambasting them twenty years later, for oh,
4: at least, and then going back and changing laws so we can go back and prosecute people for them.
5: Yeah, like there, there is inherent danger in posting all of this stuff online, where where, you know, um, you might have dressed up as a kid like. 30, 40 years ago, going out for Halloween, we dressed up as things that today would be considered like cultural appropriation or, mm. or one of those sorts of things. Those pictures exist only in my mom's photo album they're yeah. not out there for everybody to see you're right,
4: right. you're absolutely right and the, you know the problem is the history you know the internet no matter how and, and i think this is kind of a false sense of security as well people post stuff on social media and they'll say oh but i, I posted it on facebook and i set the privacy yes. option steve I, I put it so that i put only friends and family i clicked the little drop down thing and so only my friends and family can see that so it's perfectly private and secure now right
5: yeah you know and it's funny we have these conversations recurring so uh my wife wants to send pictures to her grandma like like we said before we've immigrated Mm -hmm. to the u.s right and so now she's separated from her grandma who's in her late 80s the problem is grandma's only accessible on facebook and uh, as much as we as technology professionals try to educate our spouses it's hard to impart the level of appreciation that we get from working with this and so she was like well you know i'm just going to send it directly to her and i'm like okay Let's, let's sit down and walk through this. What is the purpose of not posting it on Facebook? Mm. Well, I don't want everybody to see this and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, if the purpose is I don't want this to be public, you, you need to make sure that she's not going to repost it. If the purpose is I don't want this on the internet, sending this to Facebook yes. in, a, in a private message doesn't accomplish what your goal is. Right,
4: right. Yeah, and I, I sometimes, and I don't think there's malice there. I just think sometimes people don't think about it. But what are your thoughts? Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. do children have a right to privacy when it comes to things online because we're making these decisions for them and we're making these decisions now. They have to live with the consequences of your actions for the rest of their life. Now, I might even extend this into the school system as well, right? So when you issue a kid a Chromebook and you give it to them and you say, hey, go ahead and log into Google with this account that's tied to your identity and I want you to go through it. Everything you'll do, you'll do on this computer so that Google can track it and keep track of it and understand where you are. I hope we all understand that when we get to, when that kid graduates high school, there is a private entity out there, and all of that data belongs to them, and that private entity now understands, well, these, these kids are good at math. These kids are good at spelling. These kids have this particular problem. These kids have that particular problem. You're giving all of that information away. What are your thoughts? Seven seven You're on KNOX. Good morning.
1: Hey, guys. I'm interested in your perspective on this. Um, you know, we're talking about privacy and not posting uh, pictures of, you know, your own kids or whatnot online. And things like that, and I actually agree with that. I think that's a very smart way to go about this. My question is, when are we going to start to see, you know, these? And maybe it's going to be like a civil lawsuit against parents or friends or whoever it is. But so many kids that are growing up these days, they are uh, completely public even before they're born. I mean, and what I yes. mean by that is, you know, their parents are posting all the pictures of of their uh, sonogram, sonogram oh here's our little baby that's going to be born and you know before they're there i mean they're a public figure essentially and then <laughs> you know i i, I heard norm mcdonald one time he was on the uh, dave letterman show you know, right at the end of it and he was saying you know it used to be you know everybody used to have one picture of their grandfather he looked angry because it took you know six hours to develop <laughs> whatever, and whatnot and today it's like hey who wants to see 100,000 pictures of my kid or my grandpa or whatever? Because everything is complete public knowledge. So when, when some of these kids grow up these days, and it's one thing to have your own account and put that out there. That's a separate thing. But when, when they grow up and they understand, I have never had one iota of privacy in my entire life, even going back to before birth, and everything has been broadcast about my life. Where is my right to privacy in any sense? when they didn't have a choice
5: to do that. So I I completely agree with you, but I think that's a wrong frame of thought because if they've never had it, they're not <laughs> okay. going to know what to miss, right? They don't understand what they're missing by it. And and particularly privacy is a hard thing to explain to someone who just fundamentally doesn't get it. Like It's, it's like trying to talk to the people that say, well, I don't do anything wrong, so why would I care if this information is out there? these children that are growing up without the privacy aren't going to understand by and large what that actually means for them
1: wow wow that's that's an amazing thing and and to me in in my opinion i think that that's going to have some pretty hefty ramifications on our society and, and to your point it's not a matter of i'm doing something wrong so I have things to hide but you know, just uh, by virtue of being alive. I mean, your your life is just not simply everybody else's business. And I think that's uh, that's going to be a, a great myth in our society going forward.
5: I think you're a hundred percent right.
4: Thanks, Thanks for the calls seven seven five fifty five fifty nine the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. dot Text message says great conversation, gentlemen. I'm in complete agreement with all of it. So here's the other side of it, right? So the other side of it is this idea of retroactive parenting. I I'm one of those people that I don't particularly appreciate having my picture taken. I don't like it. And I, I, in part because there's, there's, you know, it gets out there and then somebody else has it and then people make comments about it. And I don't even know what they're talking about. And so I, I just didn't particularly care for it, but I grew up in a house where my mother thought that everything I did required a photo to be taken and then copies to be disseminated to all of the relatives because that, that's just what she did. And so it's one of those things that like when I got older, I started to become very I, I, I started to acknowledge that like I go over to my grandma's house and she'd sit down and be like, well, oh, come over here and look through the photo. I'm like, I didn't want you to. Have, OK, so the problem there is right. I don't get to go back in time and tell my mother, well, here's how you should have parented me. Right. Like that isn't my choice. I can make those choices for my children. And certainly I think parents in general want to give their parent their kids the things that they didn't have. You look at how you were raised and you say, here's the things I like and here's the things I didn't like. And then you try to implement some of those changes. And that's absolutely our right to do that. But the idea that we would be able to go back in time and say, yeah, 18 years ago, you should have known that I wouldn't have wanted my picture posted on Facebook or I take a stand against Twitter. I don't like Elon Musk, so I would... Like, Tough cookies that I mean, we made that decision when you were three years old. I wish you would have spoke up then, but you couldn't because you were three years. You know what I mean? So there's I think there's a level of parents need to be allowed to raise their kids how they see fit. And if kids don't like that when they get older, I don't know that there's a whole lot of responsibility to be bared. Now, when it gets into money. I start, to, it starts to the scales for me. So for example, if you have a child actor, nobody would say, well, the kid's under 18, so they're not entitled to money. So anything that the child actor does, that's really the parent's money because they're not 18, right? They can't own money. Like we wouldn't say that. We said parents, responsible parents set that money aside, put it into a trust fund, those sorts of things until they are of age and then they have it. But we all acknowledge that the child is the one that worked for it. I wonder if the same isn't true here. It just doesn't seem like maybe there's as much money. Seven seven you're on KNOX. Good morning.
13: Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm a member of Gen Z, and uh, this is a really good topic of conversation that doesn't get addressed enough, especially with my generation, because here's what we do. We are so used to technology encroaching on our lives and our privacy that uh, it doesn't matter what it is, we'll just hit, oh, yeah, I accept. Yeah, continue. Yeah, you can have cookies. Yeah, you can have this. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, you can have my banking information. It's so common. <laughs> with my generation today it's crazy like no common sense like at least read the first couple of pages of the of the terms of service for god's sakes and maybe you shouldn't
4: enable one click buying maybe that's not a good idea
5: <laughs> yeah no kidding
4: so this kind of goes yeah, back to what you were crazy. saying steve it's like people. it's hard to introduce the concept of privacy when you've never had it so the the, the, the thought goes like this right well, I could care about pride, but I mean, that's kind of gone. My mom's been posting pictures of me for the last 25 years. So why does it matter now? And that's a difficult question to answer because there isn't a really great answer to that.
5: The only way that you can really answer that is when you've gotten burned, right? Mm. When it, it's one of those things that people don't understand the danger of it until they've actually done it. Mm-hmm. So when my, when my son was, my oldest son was much younger uh, he's very strong-willed, and he, he to this day he still thinks he knows the world. Uh, and so he's like four, and he's arguing with me about I should like I'm telling him don't touch the barbecue, it's hot. He's, no, it's not hot, Dad. Like don't touch the barbecue, it's hot. And he didn't like grasp at him. I'm like okay, touch the barbecue, put his hand on the barbecue. And we never had that conversation again, <laughs> right? And and now he like that that was uh, forgive the phrase seared into his mind. <laughs> Uh, And and it's one of those things that some concepts are so abstract that until you're bitten by them, you can't really fully grasp that.
4: Absolutely. yeah. You know, the, the, the problem with privacy, the problem is when the privacy thing bites you. You know, in your your case, so your son touched a barbecue grill, presumably for a brief moment in time, and his hand hurt for a little bit, but then it healed and it was fine. And now he likely remembers the lesson, but doesn't deal with the injury. The problem with privacy is something negative gets posted online. And, I mean, God forbid we just had a young girl kill herself in New Jersey—I'm sorry, die at the hand of suicide in New Jersey a week ago because— of something that was shared about her online, presumably without her consent. Right. So it has real impacts. And the problem is once that goes onto the Internet, unlike your son's hand, it doesn't heal. It just continually gets perpetuated around. And I remember thinking this. If you remember like the Goosebumps girl, she had like braces or whatever. And, and, she, and, and it became a meme and people shared it all over the place. Like that's a real person. Right. And all of these people that we share around the Internet to make our points and become kind of a staple of our culture, they're all real people. And they have to deal with the fact that they're the ones that are constantly the butt of everyone's joke and they're the butt of everyone's joke on every social media network. And so before you put your kids in that position, I think there is a certain amount of you know process that has to happen to kind of run through that but what are your thoughts 7755559 are you are you of the opinion that parents should be allowed to do whatever they want with their kids and when they turn 18 that becomes their decision or do you think that that's too far. Do you think that kids have a right to have privacy so that when they get to 18, they can start making that decision for themselves? Textmaster has this to say at 775-55-59. I don't think the kids should have any say at all. At the end of the day, they are subject to the parents and we trust parents to make all sorts of kinds of decisions for their kids. So that's true, right? We do. We there are, there are certainly decisions that have all sorts of lifelong consequences, you know, vaccines, for example, uh, the kind of health care that we give our kids, the diet that we feed our kids, the diet we feed our kids likely has a much larger long-term impact on a kid's overall well-being than the pictures that are going to be posted of him or her online. So there's... Oh, oh you
5: don't agree. I don't agree because a diet is something... Unless you irreparably harm the body, the diet is something that you can overcome with a lot of effort. But like you said, once oh. it's online, you can't overcome that. They're out there. It's you, permanent. You become a meme, you're a meme, right? Like, yeah. think about Rick Astley and how many people <laughs> yes. have been Rick Rolled yes. over the years, right? Yeah. I mean, he he happened to benefit from some of the fame, but do you think he liked being the butt of all the jokes? Yeah. Right?
4: 100%. And I mean, and I would say there's maybe a little difference there because he was a public figure Prior to that
5: sure, but at the same time he's never going to live that down literally we'll never <laughs> live that down yeah like that was a thing in, when I was starting high school uh, starting university and it's still a thing now yeah right twenty something years later so hundred percent do you think just because he's a public figure do you think he's a public figure that wanted to be the butt of everybody's joke for time immemorial like My kids know who Rick Astley is.
4: Yeah. So I don't think that was obviously his intention or I don't think that was his desire. But at the same time, I think that when you step into the public light, I feel like you're very intentionally surrendering a certain amount of your privacy and people are going to say say things about you and share things about you, right?
5: I mean, there's something to that. But how many of the memes that are on the internet, we don't necessarily know who the like there's one of a little girl who's smirking and behind her there's like a building burning down, right? We've all seen that. Did that little girl want to be the one associated with starting a fire? Yes, (laughs) yes,
4: yes. Or and if that picture is even authentic, right? So sometimes this stuff even gets attributed to people and they're not, you know, they don't even know, which is the other thing that uh, the other portion of this discussion. Right. So the first portion is you know should you be allowed to share this stuff in the first place but the second thing is do you understand the potential harm that comes from it because just because you posted it online and the person that you intended to share it with didn't have any ill intent does that mean everybody that saw that picture or took that picture or did something with that picture didn't have any ill intent Seven seven we'll take the break here we'll head over to the knox newsroom and we'll get the latest from doug barrett uh he's standing by and when we come back we're going to uh Uh, We're going to dig into uh, the book ban. It has gone through the Senate. It's made its way through. And so they're ready to start enforcing penalties in libraries for carrying explicit materials. That's all up next on Critical Thought News Radio 1310, KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM welcome back it is 1137 775 5559 the number to join us you're on KNOX good morning that's you going once going twice Thanks for the call. 775-5559, the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. State lawmakers on Thursday advanced bills targeting sexual material in North Dakota public libraries, including legislation that would allow for librarians to be charged with a misdemeanor for displaying such books. Bill supporters have cited that the books perceived as pornographic and targeting children such as Let's Talk About It, The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being Human. As reasons for their efforts, opponents say that the legislation is censorship. The bill would ban public libraries from maintaining books with explicit sexual material under the bill. It includes visual depictions of human masturbation, deviant sexual intercourse, and sexual intercourse and other acts. So my question to you at 775 55 should we require libraries to remove sexually explicit material or should the state's obscenity control law be outdated? Because there's only two i i struggled with this the last time this topic came up now it's actually passed through the state or the state senate the problem that i had with it last time is we can't get our we can't get on the same page on where we're at with human sexuality if it's a positive thing or it's a negative thing and so if we're going to restrict what consenting adults can do i think we need to restrict what children have access to but what do you think 775 59 you're on knox good morning
13: yeah a double dipping but i feel like i have a really good opinion on this um well, then it's lot take are they going to take computers out of the library and are they going to take the computers out of the hands of these kids that are, are the second they're able to read and write they hand them a Chromebook or a, or a Windows laptop and, and, and don't nobody give me the crap excuse of oh well, well they block certain things. Yeah, it's very easy to bypass uh, school uh, b- blocking programs. It's, but, the, it's but here's easy, actually.
4: but think about what you just asked, right? Think about what you just asked. Are they going to take the computers away and the, and, and you, you, you just called it. The answer is no, because they're already restricting sexually <laughs> explicit material on, on the Chromebook and, and on the computer. So why are we doing that on the computers, but we don't do it that on the library shelves?
13: Okay, well, I'll, I'll add this then. Uh, a lot of kids have smartphones nowadays. And if a kid yep. wants to see explicit material, it is literally seconds away. And, and I feel like just getting rid of books that might even help educate children on these subjects that might be too afraid to Google, I think that's a stupid idea.
4: We have an app for that. You know, literally, we have an app for sexually explicit material. I appreciate the call, my friend. 775 you're on KNOX. Good morning.
8: Hey, good morning, Noah. Uh, so I just have to second the last caller. Spot on again. Um, if you're giving your kid unsupervised access to the Internet by giving them a smartphone uh, then and, and you think that we need to be pulling books out of schools, You're a total hypocrite. Uh, It's it's insanity. Just just be consistent. So if you are that parent that says, my kid's not getting a smartphone, I'm not just going to let them on the Internet, and I don't want these books in school, fine. Okay, that's consistent. But if you're like, no, we need to get these dangerous words off the shelves. Words are dangerous. But then you give your kid a device that gives them access to pornography within seconds? Come on. Silly. It's ridiculous.
4: Seven. I appreciate the call. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. What are your thoughts? Is is this the is this the kind of thing where it's inconsistent to say, "Hey, we are going to allow this to be on our library shelves"? And I want to be clear here, right? It's not just words. They are very they are very graphic uh, depictions of what human sexuality looks like. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Just to kind of add
11: on to your last two callers a little bit. You know, and I think you and I have had this conversation before, when has sex ever been a bad thing to talk about, right? I mean, we always mm-hmm. want to hide it, not want, not want to talk about it. So how about the parents actually start talking about it to their kids at home? Yeah, then we wouldn't need the book. From a, yeah, and start doing it from a young age. But I think part of the problem that we have today in society is that parents don't want to talk to their children about sex. Mm-hmm. And... Then they wonder why later in life we have kids that are running around needing to be treated for, you know, diseases and problems and running around that are pregnant and they don't have to be and, you know, curious about sex and into drugs and alcohol and everything else that they're into. It's because these parents don't do the job and talk to their children about it. And it's, nope. it's really as simple as that. If you talk to your kids you're going to avoid this problem with the curiosity. It's Steve really it is it out of you. Is I, is uh,
5: fuck
11: up and talk to your children. That's
5: I, I really agree it that is. you should talk to your children. Absolutely. This doesn't make the problem go away, however. Um, so yeah. that, I don't believe in restricting information like this. I don't think it should be pulled out of the library. I think it should be treated like other things in society where we actually put an age restriction on it. Like, don't, don't go ahead and remove the stuff. I, I, do not believe in any form of censorship. I do believe that there's an appropriate time to have all of this information available, and I believe that uh, this should be... We should have a minimum standard for the parents or people who don't want to take an active involvement in uh, what their children are learning. But children... My 11-year-old is not going to be the same as Noah's 11-year-old. Mm. They're, they're different children. They had a different growing up, and maybe mine is more ready for it than Noah's because Noah's kid just didn't start noticing girls or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, And at that point, the information should be available. It should not be just simply summarily banned. Uh, I think that as a general rule, what it should happen is the same thing that we used to do with movies where you had a like a PG-14, and you had to be 14 or older, or you go with your parent. Yes. So if, if the books are available in the, the the library, and you want your kid to be able to have access to it, you go with them, and you check it out for them. Right? There you go.
4: Now you've got the parents involved. Yeah. yeah. 775-55-59, you're on KNOX. Good morning.
5: It is
6: not banning nor censorship. It's cut to, let's go really to the root. Is it the government's job to provide certain people's children with pornography.
4: So you would say because it's taxpayer funded, it's not banning it if we just don't provide it. If you can still buy the book. You can buy it for your own kids. We're just not going to buy it with public dollars and make it available in a public or school library.
6: Absolutely, it's not censoring anything. It's not banning anything. It's just saying it's not available there. If you want that much, if you want your five-year-old to be sexually active, and boy, talk about child abuse. But I digress. If you want to <laughs> do that, then you while well, you. Sh- I would hope you'd be prosecuted if found out. But the point is, it's not the government's job to buy books and to make them available in libraries for that information. Uh, it is amazing to me when I hear people, uh, I say this all the time, Is do you people realize children are not little adults? They're children. And there's this group of people that want to let them change genders, be sexually active, I go on and on. I don't understand you. They're not ready for that. They're not. Hey, here's, this, here's a fun drop of a line. They're not midgets. <laughs> they're, they're children. They're not ready for this. And if you're okay with your
4: children experiencing this type of stuff, you need help. What would be wrong with putting it in a, in a segregated you know, area of the library and then you know, with parental consent they can go into that area of the library?
6: If you can do that and really enforce it, good luck. And did they talk about, well, you know, you can get on a computer, you can get, is the government providing them the cell phone? If the parent chooses to give mm. the, a student a their child access to the Internet, unsupervised, I'd call that bad parenting, but it's not the same as the government buying them an iPhone and saying, here's the porn sites you can go to. Two different things.
4: Fair enough? Totally. Fair enough. Thank 775-5559. Thanks for the call. You're on KNOX. Good morning.
14: Good morning. I was going to say, when does it become the librarian's responsibility to babysit our children? I've been seeing that they're going to prosecute librarians and people that work there for the books and things that are in the library. I don't think the librarians are the ones ordering the books, first of all. Their bosses are, or whatever curriculum they follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be afraid to work at a library. That's just crazy. Cause you don't know what's in every single book. I think it's the parents' responsibility. And if That's... the parents aren't the ones bringing the kids to the library, if they're with their class, then it's the teacher's responsibility.
4: If she's on to something, that, like, you're right. If you're going to put the, the onus on the librarian, how does the librarian know which books are appropriate and which books are not appropriate and which kids should be coming home with them and which kids should? That is kind of the parent's responsibility, isn't it?
14: Yes, I think so. I, I think we have given our parental responsibility. We've given it up to too many different associations and and, and agencies. I find it ludicrous. I raised five kids as a single mama and went to college and graduated with honors during the flood, by the way. And I was very responsible when I didn't want my kids watching a movie. They didn't watch the movie. If I didn't want to rent them uh, a game, I noticed my boys, when I would rent Mortal Kombat back in the day, when you could rent those for your your player,
5: mm-hmm. I noticed
14: they would be acting out and Rough housing a lot more, so I quit renting it. It just was not allowed we we've got to give our parents our parents have got to get back on the job they really well, do it's, well said seven really- seven seven
4: seven five fifty five fifty nine you're on X. good morning
0: yeah, is that me that's you yeah, I and mean, then the comments i'm going to bring up I just want both the Noah, the, the host of the show, and, and your guest or whatever, Steve. they talk about parents talking with their children about sex. It's not an easy subject. It's something that's extremely private. It was something that was never done for most people. It was never explicitly done with them. And it's a lot harder than people realize to have that conversation at an appropriate age. You know, when do you have, when do you start a conversation with your child about sex and sexuality? Well, by the time it's appropriate for what you think is appropriate, then it's embarrassing. And it, you know, everybody says, you know, it's up to the parents. Well, it's not up to the teachers, it's not up to the, to the government, and, it's, and even with the parents. But you'd have to admit, it's not an easy thing to do. And for 5,000 years, people have grown up and figured it out pretty much on their own. And I guess I would ask the question, how do you go about discussing sexuality and having sex with your child, and at what age is appropriate? I mean, maybe you as young parents, obviously younger than me, is maybe you figured out a very uh, Gen X way of doing it or whatever, but I raised four children, and I never found a really good time to do it. About the time I felt I thought I should do it, it was embarrassing. And if it was earlier than that, people thought, hmm, I mean, when you go out socially or you have somebody to your home socially, you don't sit around and talk about having sex. It's not socially acceptable for most people. And I guess I like the whole ranting that I'm doing here is to look back on it and just think, you know, it's not an easy thing to do.
5: Yeah, I think um, it's something that that we struggle with in in my family, especially because you can't control what influences your kids bump into. Yes. Yes. Without without getting into it, I'll let you imagine things, but let's just say my son has bumped into some interesting material through friends where we can't control that. So it doesn't matter that we don't have any access to the internet or anything like that. And keep in mind, he's 10, Mm. right? Is this really the appropriate time? but our hand is forced right because now it's you know bumped into this content and what do you do with this yeah right it, you're right it is not it is not easy and how do you walk the line between you know a simple description of this is how babies are made to like something that might actually speak to why the content was what it was that that they bumped into
4: yeah it is difficult you know the the the, where we've gone with it is we let the we let the the kids drive that right as they ask questions they know no question is off limits and then we just answer the question and it's kind of like doling out little bits of meat you know just give it a little bit and then if that satiates them and they're happy and they go away for a few more years great but if there's more curiosity if there are more questions then we answer them 775-55-59 you're on knox good morning
0: yeah, I tuned in late. Uh, you're still talking about uh, library uh,
9: restrictions. Yes, sir.
0: Yeah. Well, where's the book burning going to be? Are they going to list it online, you know, and list the book burnings, or is it unscheduled? Or
4: yeah, I don't think they've they've nailed a specific schedule, and I, I don't think they're going to burn them. I just don't think they're going to buy them with public tax dollars and put them in the library.
5: Well, they'll go in a landfill then, or something. Well, it, I can say that, so Canada has some pretty strict controls over books. Like there's a, there's a giant restricted books list that, that's in Canada. And really? Yeah, you have to go outside. Like you can't just go down to your, you might be able to get it at a local bookstore, like a used bookstore, oh. but you can't just go to like a local chapters or, or Barnes and Noble and be able to pick it up because the books are banned. So it's not exactly book burning, but it does, definitely is uh, more difficult to come across these things. It's
4: censorship in the, every sense of the word.
5: Yep, it is. It is. All right, we'll take the last break here. We'll wrap it up in the next
4: segment. Then we'll join up with Brian Michaels, who's live from the Home Men Show today at the Alara Center. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 1033 FM, 11, 12, 1157. Joining me on the program is Miss Big Bra. Are you there, Big Bra? I can. How's it going, sir?
2: Pretty good, pretty good. We're out here at the, uh, the men's show. Hey, uh, so Steve-O, uh, that's the fellow that left uh, Canada. Canadia. Uh, and came down here to the Team USA right that that's the fellow you yes. were telling me about the other day so it was uh, i am i'm i'm cu- curious as to the the books that are banned in canada if they are uh is it jordan peterson books is it ben stein is it uh is it conrad black i mean what what books are specifically banned in canada um, i mean a
5: lot of and, it is like there's there's like tom sawyer's on the list and and there, really? there's a bunch oh yeah oh. yep wow yep.
2: god yeah, we don't want that, right? That's not good. Uh, but when, from a sexual nature, that would be more of a cultural type thing and some of the, the, the words used there uh, in Tom Sawyer and uh, Huck Finn and all that stuff. Wow. So that's still going on. That's, yep. That actually opened my eyes when you said that, Steve. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. I was making a, a conservative host joke, right, <laughs> with the Jordan Petersons and the Bed-Stein and the Conrad Black. I know they're conservatives, they're Canadian. Or well, actually, I don't think Jordan's actually a conservative. Jordan no, Peterson,
5: he's not. He he will not. He just uh, happens to saddle up with the conservatives because uh, because he's being a, essentially he's falling on similar ground. But he considers himself a liberal. And if you if you actually follow him, he he yeah. definitely does not have the markings of a traditional conservative.
2: No, and he he points that out in his uh, in his uh, with his media. He points that out he's very clear about that. But he makes some really good points. Make some good points. So, yeah, welcome from Canada. How long you been here?
5: We came down in 2021 and are super happy to be here.
2: Cool, groovy. I know it's. Uh, uh, it, we're getting close to the top of the hour, um, Noah. So you can just uh, you can talk her up to the top here. We got about 40 seconds. You probably got to get that ID in. But yeah, we're at the men's show. So I'll catch up to speed. What's going on here? It's just a lot of activity. I've got a, a bobcat, payloader driving right in front of me. We got RVs to my right. I've got a. Uh, a food truck to my right, food truck to my left. I'm stuck in the middle, right? But the doors it's a Brian open sandwich. on a Friday till 4 o'clock. <laughs> it's a Brian sandwich. Thank you. So, Men's Show uh, opens at 4, but we'll broadcast here at noon to 2. Stop on out on Brian right. Michaels.
5: Thanks
4: for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon, a news stock 1310 KNOX, streamed online at Knoxradio.com.